Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Was the Declaration of Independence written in Philadelphia? No, it was written in ink. (laughs) What do you call an American revolutionary who draws cartoons? A Yankee doodler. All right. So um, Cook's probably going to cut to this point in the message. So let's just, we go video. This is where we're going to start. How smart is your God? How smart is your God? It's a question I want to ask today. How smart is your God? The title of the message today is, You Can't Outsmart Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through Luke chapter 20. So if you're in Luke chapter 20 in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. Um, you can't outsmart Jesus. So if you, can un- if you can understand everything about God, then you are his equal. So if God is smarter than you, then you're not his equal. My introduction to a series is, is to this is a series of Mark Batterson quotes. Anybody who know who Mark Batterson is other than me? Mark Batterson wrote a book called Circle Maker. If you hadn't read it, you need to read it, okay? You need to read Circle Maker. It's about praying circles around things and believing God's going to hear an answer. It's a great, great book. As a matter of fact, anyway, so Mark Batterson said, God is not going to fit within the logical constraints of our left brain. And I'm going to read the verse, Isaiah 55, so you can understand the next statement he makes. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts, God, God's saying my thoughts, are not your thoughts. Aren't you glad about that? Come on, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. How many of you had a worried, anxious thought this past week that you don't have control to fix something that you want to fix? Anybody? All right. God's not worried about anything. You know why? Because he's got all the power to fix whatever he wants to fix, however he wants to fix it. Maybe we'll get into some time so that God's ultimate plan in election might stand. God's plan will stand. Anyway, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens, listen to this phrase, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So Mark Betterson said, and and I love this, I was listening to a podcast, so I just pulled it straight word for word. This is a quote. He said, to me, every ology is a branch of theology. So theology is the basis of my life. And by the way, my ground zero is Isaiah 55. It's the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Well, he said, astrophysicists would say the co-moving distance of the universe is 93 billion light years from one to the other. And so, I think what I'm trying to say is your best thought on your best day is at least 93 billion light years short of how good and great God is. I think I'm going to read that again, because that was too good, right? Yeah, he said it so fast, I had to go back and get the show notes for it. He said, astrophysicists would say that the co-moving distance of the universe is 93 billion light years. So, I think what I'm trying to say is your best thought on your best day is at least 93 billion light years short of how good 
and how great God is. And he, then he quotes like, Mar did anybody read C.S. Lewis's or, or watch the movie uh, with Aslan in it? Yeah. Uh, Lucy and Aslan are having a conversation. Lucy says, you're bigger, Aslan. <laughs> and Aslan says, no, you're just older now. <laughs> because what happens, it's the idea that the older you get, the more you realize how great God is and how small you are. You don't even have the brain capacity of Albert Einstein. Nobody in this room, nobody listen to me right now, has a brain capacity of Albert Einstein. What was his IQ, like 180 or something? It's crazy. Anyway, and, and, and yet, sometimes you think you're as smart as God. Your problem is you think you're smart as God, and you can figure him out, and you've got him all figured out, and he's got to do what you say, how you say it, when you say it, because you're God, and you're equal to him. And, and what I want to talk to you about today is you're not as smart as God, and you can't outsmart him. So there may be a few things you don't know. God understands. Listen to some things God understands. Quantum physics, calculus, the workings of the atom, let me see, the political structures of human beings, the composition of every single star in the entire universe, and the mind of a woman. God made them all. And that means God is God and not me. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word today? Let's read from Luke chapter 20 because we're just going to walk through chapter 20. I wish we could deal with the parable in there, but I don't have time to deal with the parable. We're going to deal with four questions in the book or in the chapter of Luke chapter 20. But I wanted to pull this out of the parable statement, all right? It says, Jesus looked directly at them and he asked, what's the meaning of that's written? Notice he's asking them a question here. This is sort of the fifth question. What's the meaning of that which is written? The builder, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the builders rejected this rock. It's not good enough to go in my building, but yet that, that rock that was rejected has literally become the most important rock in the entire building, the cornerstone. And everyone, listen to this, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but everyone on whom that rock falls be crushed. Father, I pray that today you would open our hearts to hear this dialogue between Jesus and his critics so that we would understand that you're God and you're smarter than us. Thanks. Amen. Before you're seated, why don't you turn to somebody, give them a big high five, give them a big smile, tell them you're so glad to see them in church. All right, so let's handle a series of questions in this chapter. I'm going to move quick. I'm not going to talk a lot about any of them. I just want to read you the stories, make a couple of comments, and move on. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to follow along, because this, this story, this chapter, is filled with questions. Let's set up the first one, all right? In the previous chapter, Jesus has went into the temple, and he's taken a whip, and he's overturned the table of the money changers, and he's driven everybody out of the temple with a whip, all right? So what that means is he's saying, God's house will be a house of prayer. You made it in a den of robbers. God's not happy with you. I'm not happy with you. Get out of the temple. Well, in doing so, he offends everybody now except the common person. 
all of the religious structures that allowed the money changing the temple, all of the, the political structures that interact with the government that allow the money to be made and the money to go here and there. So all the people making money are now mad at Jesus, and the only people that like it are the people who are being taken advantage of, and that's the common person, and everybody else is now ticked off at Jesus. So Jesus is in, he, he, yeah, he's made everybody mad. So that's the setup. You got it? Then... Luke 20, a question of authority, verse 1. <clears throat> One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up and said, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, cleansing the temple specifically? Implied is doing all the miracles, going around preaching, even teaching right now in the temple. What's your authority? Come on. Why do you think you can do this? They said, who gave you this authority? We don't recognize you. The authorities here in Jerusalem don't recognize you. Who gave you this authority? So Jesus replied. Here's his question to me. All right. Jesus is great. Parents, parents 101 right here. Bosses 101 right here. Ask questions before you make statements. Don't ask why questions. I found out that's offensive. After 30 years of asking why questions, I found out a couple years ago that it's offensive. So you don't ask why questions. You ask, so what were you thinking when you did that? Okay. Why'd you do that is an accusation, I've found out. I don't mean it as an accusation. I really want to know, why'd you do that? <laughs> but I guess you hear it the other way. So I will ask you now, so what were you thinking when you did that? That's a great question, right? So Jesus, what does he do? He replied, I'll ask you a question. Tell me. John's baptism. Y'all know who John was. John the Baptist, right? His cousin. John's baptism, that baptism of repentance, he said, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? So all the people had ran out. All the people were getting baptized by John, except apparently the people that Jesus drove out of the temple and the people in charge. So he said, John's baptism... Was it from heaven or was it from human origin? They discussed it among themselves and say, if we say from heaven, well then he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you get baptized? <laughs> right? But if we say it's of human origin, well, all of these people that love Jesus and love John the Baptist, all the people that pay our bills, they'll stone us. So there's a problem. All the people are persuaded that John the Baptist is a prophet. So they answered, this is their answer. We don't know. We don't know. You know, if it could have been from God, could have been from humans. We don't know. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said, well, if you ain't going to tell me, then I'm not going to tell you. I love it. I love it. You ain't going to tell me, I'm not going to tell you. By what authority? What was the authority Jesus did have, by the way? What is his authority? You know, what would he have said? My authority comes from God because I am the son of God or my authority comes from the scriptures because I'm the fulfillment of all the scriptures. What would he have said? Well, I think it's sort of funny that actions speak louder than words because in about a week, Jesus is not only going to be killed and buried in the grave, but in less than a week, he's going to be resurrected from the dead. And I think his authority is going to be pretty well established by then. 
Because if you can call your own death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, be crucified in front of people, die physically, laid in a tomb, resurrected on the third day, and tell everybody you're going to do it, then pull it off. I think you've got some authority somewhere, right? So my faith, my faith isn't just in a religious system. Or, actually, it's not in a religious system. I, I, I do know that the religious systems we have developed are both good and bad. But my faith is in a resurrected Jesus Christ who has the authority to say and do whatever he doggone well wants to. <laughs> right? So, uh, let me finish up here. If from God they would be self-condemned, if from man they would receive public condemnation because the people knew the truth. So Jesus ends the discussion with, I'm not coming down to your level. I love that. I was, I was on a Facebook post the other day, and like I said, there are debates. I hang out on pages on Facebook different than you, okay? I hang out on pages where it's not politics, it's all religion, and people are like arguing religion all the time and talking about religious things. And so anyway, um, I, I'm on this page, and this guy is like, this is what he said. He said, yeah, well, God ordered slavery, and I will never serve a God that orders slavery. And I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> now, first of all, first of all, there are commands in the Old Testament about how to do slavery justly. Okay, do you know that? Those commands, some of them, do you know God says some of those commands he didn't even want in the Bible? Like the command to divorce your wife. He said, I only wrote you that command because your hearts were hard. So there are some of those laws in the Old Testament that God only is saying, well, if you're going to go ahead and do it, then at least, at least put some protections around it. Wow, sorry. I'm blowing your mind. Some of you, the way you read the Bible, you read the Bible wrong. Sorry. Because some of those commands, God only allowed them because we're so wrong, that's the only way it could keep us from being too wrong. But I, I want to ask you a question. Who led all the slavery, slavery abolitionist movements in the world? Who led them all? Christians. Because they read the New Testament, books like Philemon, 1 Corinthians, Timothy that talked about slave traders being people that God's against, that talk about how if you can be free, you should be free, and how God doesn't care whether you're a slave or free. He values you as a human being. And that it is Christians who read the New Testament seriously that led the abolitionist movement around the world. It was not you, pagan, that did that. It was Christians. And yet you want to point fingers at God and point fingers at Christians. You're a jerk. So you know how I responded to him? I didn't. Do you know why? Because they answer a fool according to the folly, and he'll be wise in his own eyes. He's going to think he's going to best me somehow in this conversation. And I'm not in it. 101, 101. Y'all ready for this? Relationship 101. Relationship 101. You should write this down somewhere. If you get in a spitting match, everybody gets wet. I don't have time to go through Roman, or, uh, chapter 20, verses 9 through 19, but it's a great parable where Jesus just calls out the religious leaders for their lack of respect. Then we get, at the end of that, we get to a political question. Um, so let's, let's just read it. A political question now. Luke chapter 20, verse 20. 
Keeping close watch on him, they sent spies to pretend to be sincere. To do what? They were pretending to be sincere. Pretending to be sincere. I, come on, this is the world we live in. Uh, sorry. It's like the Bible was written then, but speaks to us today. It's sort of like it's inspired by God and there's breath in it so that it still applies to today. Do you know anybody that ever pretends to be sincere to get the upper hand on you? <laughs> All right. And, and they hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies question him. This is what they question him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. Ooh. Talking about self-condemnation. And that you do not show partiality, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. We know this, but we're still trying to trap you. Because even though they were being insincere, there's sincerity in this. And, oh, by the way, every lie is only a lie because it's got a kernel of truth in it. Or else you wouldn't even pay attention to it. Anyway, that's for a different day because <clears throat> that's a different day. So they asked, here's their question now, now that they buttered him up and they got him all soft, right? Buttered him up good. Yeah. Any of your teenagers say, Daddy, I love you. What's coming next? <laughs> all right. Well, by the way, we all know that, right? All right, so Jesus is, they think they're buttering Jesus up. Jesus is sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that'd go good on popcorn, but not on me. All right, and then they ask the question, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Ooh, so what did they just do? They pulled the government into it. We're going to now get you in trouble with the government. Dear God, thank you for our Supreme Court. Help them to make just decisions. Amen. A lot of them this week, aren't there? Yeah. I'm not going to comment on all of them. I'm just going to say help them make just decisions. He saw through their duplicity and he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription are on it? They said, Caesar. And he said to them, well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and then to God what is God's. And they were unable to trap him in public because what he said there I think this is sort of interesting. I think Luke put this in there on purpose. They were unable to trap him what he said there in public. Jesus, by the way, was political. You know where he wasn't political, though? Where was he not political? In public. Because <laughs> you don't think Jesus had ideas about the Roman leadership? <laughs> Come on. You don't think Jesus had ideas about Jewish leadership? And I'm sure his, well, some of his parables, if you understood the times you would understand that some of his parables were pulled real, right out of politics in the day. So anybody that tells you you're not allowed to have a political opinion because you're a Christian, they don't really know what the Bible has to say. Now, let me say one more thing about political opinion since it is the 4th of July weekend. Your political opinions are partly right based upon the truth you know. I pray for an America and I pray for a church in America who would not be so arrogant that we cannot listen to opposing points of view and learn from them. Yeah. 
Yeah, because when you know everything, that makes you God. And last I checked, this whole sermon's about you're not as smart as God, right? All right. <clears throat> now, one thing I want to say here. I want to show you a picture. That is a coin. Uh, it's, you can see the minting and the image. This is actually Caesar's image. This is Julius Caesar. And, uh, and for the book of Revelation, this will help you understand. Rome is the lady on the back. And um, Rome is a goddess. Goddess. Uh, uh, Caesar was viewed as a god, but Rome was the superior goddess. There are even some coins that are minted showing Caesar worshiping the lady on the back. Um, and I, I wish I had time to get into all this, but there's a lot of hang out for a couple years. And maybe after I come back from Rome, I'll, I'll have some of these discussions this fall. All right. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, Rome was considered to be the goddess and the giver and the grantor, always looking down and always granting. So Rome was considered to be what is worshiped. And that's what Christians were doing wrong is they were saying, we won't worship Rome. We're only going to worship God. And that's where the tension and the fights came in. And that's where the book of Revelation comes. Anyway. Um, so whose inscription is this? Who's, who's coming? Caesar's. And Jesus says very simple, hey, listen, you use this. Why wouldn't you give some honor to the person that you literally use their money to buy stuff? So those of you that think taxes are wrong, just quit driving on my roads. <laughs> right? If taxes are wrong, just quit driving on our roads. Right? All right. Uh, um, and, and I think it's beautiful what Jesus follows it up with is he says, hey, listen, this Caesar's coin you're using, you don't agree with the theology presented on this coin, that's okay. But do you know what you do? You use this coin to pay your taxes too. And he said, oh, and by the way, while you're at it, since we're giving honor where honor is due, you should give honor to God too. You should give to God what's God's too. Because last I heard, your very breath comes from God. Your very brain comes from God. Your opportunities come from God. And you need to honor him too. All right. So let's end this way. You ready? At this point, we'll end this way. What's the difference between a duck and George Washington? One has a bill on his face and the other has a face on a bill. Third question is a theological question. Theological question. Wow, I got to fly. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with the question, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife but no children, man must marry a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now these were his seven brothers. First one was married to the woman, died childless. Then the second, then all third married her. And then the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since she was married to seven? By the way, this is a, re uh, this is a reference, if you don't know it, to the apocryphal book of Tobit. The story comes from Tobit. And I think it's funny that the Sadducees are asking this question. And the Sadducees considered to be only the, um, uh, the uh, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, to be authoritative. And they're asking a question because they're sort of bumping this, this fight with the culture about all these other books and writings that are out there. And the Roman Catholic Church, of course, has Tobit in their book, Bible, as do others. But those are prior to Jesus. The, the book of Tobit's actually a good book. I'm so I'm not inspired to the level of Scripture, but inspired somewhat. And it's used here. Now, I tell you that because some of you would read over that and never get it, but it is this story comes directly from that book. It, a woman was married to seven 
men, they all died because they were demon-possessed. She was demon-possessed. Anyway, long story. I want to tell you so much more than we have time for. And I'm, some of you, I start talking like that, your eyes get glazed over. I'm telling you, this Bible has a lot of depths to it and layers to it. So there's a layer here. They're telling a story. Whose wife will she be? So Jesus replied, listen to his reply. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But the people of, of what age? This one. These are the people that marry and are given in marriage. Now, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection of the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They can no longer die for they... Uh, can you go to the next slide? They will never, no longer die for they are like the angels. So the angels... If, we, if they're like the angels and we're not going to marry a given marriage, the mari in heaven, sex does not exist. The God who made up sex probably has something better in heaven. Hallelujah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Can't wait to get there. <laughs> but sex is for, for what age? This age, right? Sex is for this age. Are, are y'all getting this? All right. Um, but in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. So Jesus is now using only the book that the Sadducees considered to be authoritative. He's dealing from Exodus. And he quotes Exodus. And he says, For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. In other words, you just kicked our butts. Let me explain it. Oh, and after this, no one dared ask him any more questions. Uh, simple truth here from Jesus. Can I talk about the content of this real quick? Angels are non-sexual beings. Uh, I don't have time to get into Enoch and all the, the book of Enoch and all the things that go along with this, but, but basically the teaching of the book of Enoch that angels had sex with humans and they produced this demonic, this, this half-human, half uh, God, uh, half angelic uh, product that now can't die, not allowed in heaven, not allowed on earth. And these, these are now demons that wander around making everybody uh, miserable. And, and what Jesus is doing is he is undermining popular conventional wisdom about demons. Funny, because everywhere Jesus goes, he's casting out demons. But sometimes when he's casting out demons, he's not actually casting out demons. He's fixing the problem, but they're taking it that he's, bring you a demon, and he heals them of epilepsy. Anyway. Frustration sometimes. I, I really want to take this to you. I don't care what your religious presuppositions are. God is able to speak to you in those and bring his truth out of it. Are y'all following me here? All right. So that's, that all of this is going on. So Jesus contradicts their conventional wisdom of like the book of Enoch and where demons came from and Babylonian and Greek religious ideas that mix with Judaism. It, it's sort of like the church. Um, I, I got a perfect example. May the force be with you. Now, now, we don't believe God is the force. 
But yet I listen to a lot of Christians' ideologies about who God is, and somehow over the decades of thinking about the force being the force behind it all, they have a force mentality of what God is, and literally your view of God is shaped by popular culture, and you don't even know how much it's shaped by it. Are are y'all following me here? So what Jesus does when you get close to him is he sorts through that stuff with you and helps you cling to what is true while helping you discard the things that are intermersed with the culture that we live in. Can I go one more? I will, I will quote the prophet of the age, Keith Urban. If there's a life after this, I'm going to meet you with a warm, wet kiss. Right? Quoting Keith Urban, right? This romantic ideology of we're soulmates forever, said only girls. <laughs> no guys ever really said that. <laughs> only girls. And if they say that, girls, they're lying to you because they really don't believe it. <laughs> All the guys are laughing. None of the girls are because, guys, you know it's the truth. Anyway. <laughs> There goes my voice. I shouldn't tell you the truth. (laughs) But you know this ideology we have of romance in our culture that we're going to spend eternity in heaven together. How small do you think God and heaven really are? That I mean, we'll know each other. We'll love each other. We're going to know each other as they are. They knew Jesus in his heavenly glorified body. They don't have a problem with that. And they're like, yeah. And he says, don't hold on to me. I'm different than you now. So our romantic notions of heaven are probably wrong too. So what does Jesus do? He uses a text from Exodus and he says, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, when God was talking to Moses in that moment, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had all died. And I read in one of my uh, um, text, uh, textbooks, commentaries, it said this, the alternative is to think God as the God of non-existent beings. So if people are non-existent when they die, then God would be the God of non-existent beings. And they said, this is absurd. So God has to be the God of the living if he uses them as a witness for who he is to Moses. If he's calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to witness to who he is to Moses, these people have to be alive. And everybody who's a religious philosophical scholar sits here and goes, ooh, we just lost. And that's the reason they said, well said, teacher. So, all right, last question. <clears throat> Got three minutes. Can y'all, can we do this in three minutes? All right, the last question is Jesus's question. So Jesus now asks a question. Uh, this is the most powerful question of them all. Before we do that, though, I've got to read for you Psalm 110. Can we read Psalm 110? Here we go. Of David. Notice it says of David. So in the Hebrew and the Greek Old Testaments, the parentheses at the beginning is of David, a psalm. Not by David. What does it say? Of David. All right. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I didn't highlight your, I should have. You will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying rule in the midst of your enemies, all right? Your troops, can you go to the next slide for me? Your troops 
will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush the kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook at the right way, and he will lift his head high. All right, so ask you a very simple question. Did David write this psalm? He, there's no way he could. Everything is somebody writing about how David's going to be victorious. Your, your, your. They're all second person. None of it is first person. It's not, I will sit by the brook. I will rule victorious. It is your second person. Are y'all following me here? All right, but it says of David because, wow, there was a philosophical, religious, theological belief that David was the author of the Psalms. So Jesus now asks a question. Let's go to Luke chapter 20, verse 41. Then Jesus said to them, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? <laughs> David himself declares in the book of the Psalms. So David says this. No, you got to notice this. Who's he saying said this? David. All right. Once again, he's using their understanding. They said David wrote all the Psalms. He's saying, well, David says... In the book of the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, David, sit at my right hand until the next time, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So then he asks a question. David, call, David calls him Lord. How then can this Lord be his son? Are y'all getting this? The Lord said to my Lord, David is saying, my Lord said to, or the Lord said to my Lord, you, David, sit at my feet until I make your enemies a footstool. How can David say this? Because this would be a son. The order's out of sequence. Now, I, I wish I had time to get into details. I don't have time. I, I took lots of notes. I wrote all the notes. Let me just simply tell you the results of this conversation. You ready? And it happened to me, sitting in the chapel. It'd probably be close to 20 years ago. Because, all right, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but my IQ is a little higher than the average person. Uh, not, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just simply saying when I was in the fifth grade, they pulled me in, they did testing on me to put me in a gifted class because my IQ is a little higher than average. Okay, it's just a little higher than average. Um, my problem is the school I went to and then the college I went through, nobody ever wanted me to think. They only wanted me to regurgitate their thoughts. I lived with an incredible amount of frustration my entire life regurgitating other people's thoughts until I went to seminary. When I went to Ashland Theological Seminary, for the first time in my life, I was surrounded by people who were all smarter than me, and they were all encouraging me to do this one crazy thing. Think. <laughs> so I began thinking, and my brain went haywire. I wound up, you guys have heard the story, I wound up suicidal because when you unhitch from the moorings of your life, you drift wherever you go, and my eye was a mess. 
as a part of my process, there was about a, a year process that God was dealing with me all the way through and bringing me back to faith and life. And I was sitting over in that chapel, and I was sitting in the fourth row on the, what would be the right-hand side, third chair from the end, and I was reading my Bible one day. It was early. I don't think anybody else from the staff had gotten here yet. And I read this verse. And light bulbs went off in my brain. God asked me a question. He said, were those people asking Jesus' question smart? And I said, yeah. And then he said, are you smart? I said, well, sort of. He said, did they outsmart me? I said, no. Because you see, here's the deal. I was struggling with my view of the Bible because I'd been taught improper views of the Bible. I was taught to worship the Bible rather than to use the Bible to lead me to Jesus. And I was struggling with my view of the scriptures and then that led me to struggle with my view of Jesus and then I had all these issues and problems, these logical questions about who God is and can God be good and be just and still allow evil in the world. Come on, are y'all following me at all? These are the things I'm dealing with. And as I'm sitting there, I realize something. Y'all ready for this? I realized Jesus put them in a position with this question that they had to do one of two things. They either had to admit they were wrong about their view of the Bible. David didn't write Psalm 110, but yet they said he did. So they either had to take David out of this position and put him down here, you know, Either they had to take David out of the authorship of this Bible, recognizing they were wrong about their interpretation of the Scriptures, or, are, are y'all following that? They had to admit they were reading the Bible wrong, or they had to admit that Jesus was the Messiah. It was one or the other. They were, there was no middle ground. They, they were wrong about Jesus, or they were wrong about the Bible, and I believe they were wrong about both. And Jesus said to me, clear as a bell, because I was struggling with how I read the Bible, because I have problems with the Bible, because I read it. <laughs> I know the struggles with the Bible, because I read it. And, and I've found some answers over the years, and that's why I wrote my first book and why I want to rewrite it on sabbatical. All right, all that being said, God said to me, y'all ready for this? moment my world changed. They didn't outsmart me, and you won't either. Can I tell you the confidence that filled my heart in that moment that I no longer had to run from my questions, but I could embrace them because God is bigger than my mind. And some of you, the reason you struggle with your view of God is you don't really believe God can handle your questions. He can. All right. So that leads to the ending today. Back to where we started. <clears throat> Luke chapter 20. This was my very first sermon I ever preached. Luke chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, what's the meaning then of that which is written? The stone that the builders rejected, what you have rejected 
is now the cornerstone, the capstone. This is the stone that is most important in the building from which the whole building gets level. Come on, my masons would know if you don't get the first row right, it ain't going well from there. Everyone who falls on that stone, listen to your relationship with Jesus. If you fall on him, you will be broken. If you fall on him. By the way, it's all right to be a broken person. As a matter of fact, I don't trust non-broken people. If you, don't, if you aren't a little broken, then you're, you're oblivious. I don't trust non-broken people. Because if you fall on Jesus, you can be broken. And if you're broken, you can be healed and restored. As a matter of fact, Psalm 51, one of those David Psalms says this, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So I'm going to throw my ignorance and my arrogance and my shame and my pride and my sin and my failure, I'm going to throw it on Jesus and be broken. Because there's only one other alternative. If you don't throw yourself on Jesus and be broken, it says that the one on whom that rock falls will be ground to powder is what the literal Greek word says. You will be obliterated. You got one choice with your life and your mind. Either you come to Jesus in your brokenness and let him restore you or you run from him and he's going to crush you and annihilate and apollome, destroy you. It's your call. I choose the way of brokenness because it is through my brokenness that God is able to bring healing to others. This entire message today comes out of my brokenness. And I'm telling you, I stand here today, guys, I am so much happier than I was my entire life because I allowed my pride and arrogance and questions and doubts to be broken before Jesus. So I'm going to issue you a challenge today, okay? This isn't one of those altar calls, come get saved. I, I wanted to do one of those. I'm not going to do that. I, I want to issue you a challenge. They're going to sing a song. I asked them to sing this song. And um, just as you're doing it, I'm going to ask you to do what the song says, to make room for God in your thinking and your actions and your ideas. If you want to come to the altar, you're welcome. You want somebody to pray with you, our prayer team will be over here. In this corner, prayer team will be here. The altars are available for you. You can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever. But I'm going to invite you to stand because I think it sort of changes the dynamic in the room. And I'm going to ask you to sing this song with us.